Every Friday Happy endings are the rule So divide up those in darkness From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys, there's your picture the shadow out of Ah, uh, this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Yes, and I almost got thrown out here. Eddie, Eddie, my engineer Eddie Pay was kind enough to come out and collect me out of the hall. I was running my mouth out there. One of these days, I'm going to miss my cue. Yes, and then it'll all be over, all be over. Today is Tuesday, August 16th, 2005, you know. I had plans today to deconstruct the fall of Western civilization. But they're renovating my apartment over there at the Harriet Tubman building here in Berkeley. So I couldn't find my <laughs> my notes. I guess the world will just have to go to hell without me this week. Yep. Oh, I don't know when it was I decided it's my job to tell everybody what's going wrong so they can go out and do something about it. All I'm doing this week is enjoying my stay over at Chamber Arts. Chamber Arts is a retreat for uh, writers and musicians. It's up near the Claremont up on Ashby there. It's a project of the O'Malley's, uh, Mike and Becky O'Malley. Oh, two of our uh, Berkeley significant elders, they live next door to Chamber Arts. The O'Malley's are the creators of our local newspaper in its recent incarnation, the Berkeley Daily Planet. When they took it over, it really started to roar. It became a serious sheet, and uh, it has a, a good feel for, you know, all the local things are right there on top, but also... International issues, uh, national, the sort of thing that's, you know, it clicks. It's what's on our minds. Uh, Becky's editorials are always right on target. Uh, it's good to have a local paper that sounds like the voice of our community. I think of, you know, the old Berkeley Barb. That was, of course, the 60s. And this paper is uh, for us now in the 21st century. Uh Anyway, today I'm fishing around in my backpack. I'm looking for a radio rant. And the first thing I find um, is uh, <laughs> a member of our staff just handed it to me. It says, please read on the air. To find out more about labor issues at KPFA, it says, go to www. We don't say that anymore, right? Just go to kpfaworker.org kpfaworker.org and see what you see there. Interesting. Uh, everything that's happening at KPFA I think of as a microcosm for what is happening in our nation, in our state. Uh, let's see. Let's, let's look for something fun. Here's something. I got it in the mail from my son Paul and it's all about this new movie. It's a documentary called Grizzly Man. Made by Werner Herzog. No, I haven't seen it. I'm going to go see it as soon as I get through here today. But I've seen half hour, let's see, I've seen the excerpts and the interviews and the reviews 
all over cable television, and I've heard all of the interviews with Herzog. Uh, my son, Paul, just loves these nature flicks. Uh, be sure to take your kids to see March of the Penguins. He raved about that one. Anyway, I've dug up two pieces about Werner Herzog. One is from The Current, the uh, New York Times piece, and one is my own. I looked back, way back into the 80s, uh, when Werner Herzog first hit the scene and we were all excited about his uh, German mysticism or something. And I'll tell you something about that one if I have time, but let's start with the one in the New York Times because it's contemporary. It's by... Uh, Manola Dargis, D-A-R-G-I-S. And, of course, it's the NewYorkTimes.com if you are one of those people who's in front of a computer. It's called Exploring One Man's Fate in the Alaskan Wilderness in the New York Times, dated 12 August 2005. It's all about this this man and this bear. <laughs> I read the New Yorker review before I came down today and... I think it was pretty interesting. It pretty much, the New Yorker pretty much, uh, what do you call that, synthesized, summed it up. They said that the uh, the man in the movie, Timothy Treadwell, uh, you know, was in love with the bear and that uh, possibly uh, Werner Herzog is in love with uh, death, you know, and uh, the conclusion of the reviewer was that uh, both men may have been a bit extreme because after all a bear is a bear is a bear now that would be that would be my summation in case anybody's interested in what i think yes i think we can we can assume that a bear will be a bear under any circumstances but let me read you a little bit of this thing about timothy treadwell because it is fascinating this guy's just fascinating uh one rainy afternoon in the Alaskan wilderness two years ago, a self-made man named Timothy Treadwell was mauled and eaten by a grizzly bear. Mm -hmm. The infant child is not aware it has been eaten by the bear. That's my, uh, my uh, intrusion here. It came to me. It's a poem. Can anybody remember? Sounds like, I think it was A.E. Hausman. Anyway, the poem ends, The infant child is not aware. It has been eaten by the bear. Anyway, let's go on with the article by Manola Dargas. He, he writes, It may be that the animal, a scrawny male bear about 28 years old and a 1,000 pounds, was trying to fatten up in preparation for its winter sleep. As it happens, Treadwell, who achieved minor celebrity as an expert on grizzlies, uh, he published a book on the bears. Uh, he jousted with David Letterman on late night television, pitched his tent in a feeding ground this time. Right. Uh-huh. The call of the wild was as irresistible to Treadwell as his flesh proved to be to that bear. The strange story of Timothy Treadwell, a Long Island native who came to see himself as some kind of Dr. Doolittle, only to die at 46 from a bear attack, is the subject of the latest documentary from Werner Herzog, Grizzly Man. It's playing, folks, a uh, footnote here at the local Shattuck Theatres, Landmark Theatres Shattuck in Berkeley. As fans of the German New Wave know, Werner Herzog has a fondness for stories about men who journey into the heart of darkness, 
both within and without. Men like the deranged 16th century explorer in Aguirre, the Wrath of God. Uh, Aguirre searches for El Dorado in the Amazon. <laughs> Another footnote here. I remember my, my dear son, Paul, the one who sent me this review. I dragged him to see Aguirre, the Wrath of God in the 80s when he was very, very young. Um, I guess teenager, late teens. Anyway, he fell sound asleep. Now, I don't, I don't mean to tell tales out of school, but he just couldn't, couldn't hack it. Anyway, um, the article goes on to say that, uh, uh, Werner Herzog also did an early 20th century esthete. You remember the, the uh, hero, uh, in Fitzcarraldo. Fitzcarraldo hauls a steamboat up a mountain. He wants to bring Caruso to the Peruvian jungle. Now, Treadwell, Timothy Treadwell's journey was no less bold or reckless than these earlier Herzog tales and certainly no less enthralling. Mr. Herzog has been making documentaries for more than three decades, just about as long as he has been directing fiction films. But he is not part of any non-fiction tradition. His website uh, declares, uh, by the way, footnote, Werner Herzog.com is the website, spelled W-E-R-N-E-R, Herzog, H-E-R-Z-O-G, dot com, Werner Herzog. If you miss that spelling, you can look it up in the newspaper. He's the director of Grizzly Man. On the website, Herzog declares, hmm, by dint of declaration... The so-called cinema verite is devoid of verite. It reaches a merely superficial truth, the truth of accountants. Well, footnote here, that's certainly a slam on accountants. And the writer, uh, Manola Dargas, goes on to say that it's a rather crude attempt to separate himself from the non-fiction crowd. But certainly Herzog is uh, no ordinary filmmaker. Uh, it is a rare documentary like Grizz Grizzly Man, which has the beauty and passion so often lacking in any type of film. Makes you want to grab its maker and head off to the nearest bar to discuss man's domination of nature and how Disney's cute critters reflect our profound alienation from the natural order. Right, another footnote here. I remember my parents' disgust and horror at the uh, the Disney films like Bambi. Of course, I loved them because I was only a little kid. Anyway, the article goes on to say that beauty enters first in Grizzly Man. It opens with two bears grazing on a spectacular stretch of green in the Katmai National Park and Preserve. That's a five million acre swath on the Alaska Peninsula. Dressed in black with his hair stirring in the wind, Treadwell walks into the frame, introduces the grizzlies as Ed and Rowdy. Uh, the bears munch away and Treadwell says... They're challenging everything, including me. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. I must hold my own if I'm going to stay within this land. 
Once there is weakness, they will exploit it. They will take me out. They will decapitate me. They will chop me into bits and pieces. I'm dead. But so far, I persevere, persevere. It's a typical Treadwell recitation, sincere, grandiose, and intensely worrisome. A bit of bravura that ends with the self-designated kind warrior, calls himself kind warrior, blowing a kiss and signing off like Kojak. Love you, Rowdy. Now, even if you don't know that Treadwell was killed, along with his girlfriend, a physician's assistant named Amy Hugonard, his familiarity with and proximity to the bears bodes badly, both for him and for them. There is something surreal, at least to a committed urbanite, about anyone who would talk to these animals, especially a guy whose blonde, bland good looks made him seem like an aging surfer. Um, but as Mr. Herzog points out in his online manifesto, quote, facts sometimes have a strange and bizarre power that makes their inherent truth seem unbelievable. Despite some early bumps, Timothy Treadwell started off as an average sort. An injury put an end to his athletic scholarship, and he moved where else? To Southern California. There he did the usual bumming around, but his life soured. According to his book, Among Grizzlies, written with Jewel Palovac, he suffered a near-fatal drug overdose. Scared straight, he gradually reinvented himself. By the early 1990s, he was summering up there in Alaska in that preserve, uh, Katmai, K-A-T-M-A-I. It's home to about 2,000 grizzlies. Herzog lays out this history, the man's history, in voiceover, illustrating Tim Treadwell's ups and downs throughout the spectacular videos that the amateur naturalist shot and interviews with the dead man's family and friends. The filmmaker also gives us the medical examiner who performed the autopsies on Treadwell and Huguenard. That's Amy Huguenard, his girlfriend. Now, uh, according to this uh, article, uh, Dr. Frank G. Falico, that's Frank, F-R-F-R-O, A-N-C-G Falico is a character around whom an entire reality show could be built. Dr. Falico pops up a couple of times in Grizzly Man, but the most potent use of his testimony occurs when he expounds at length in an autopsy room, a scene that illustrates Herzog's sense of drama. Sporting a blue smock and a fixed gaze, Dr. Falico recounts his version of the attack. He describes, oh, oh dear, oh God. His description is based on his examination of the bodies and the six-minute audio record found on one of Treadwell's video cameras. Okay, apparently the lens cap was on the camera, but while this horrible scene, the the death and devouring of the uh, of Treadwell and his girlfriend. Um, 
the six-minute audio record was made. And so we hear, the well, actually, um, I uh, I saw Werner Herzog on television the other night, and he said very, very uh, clearly that this is not a snuff film, he said. So he did not... Uh, he did not put in his movie the audio tapes of this horrible event. Uh, uh, anyway, this review by uh, uh, our friend Dargis goes on to say that the account is graphic, gruesome, and thoroughly riveting, partly because morbid tales tug at the imagination, but also because this Dr. Falico turns out to be an incredible storyteller. For Herzog, it's clear that the truth of this story isn't located just in the facts that the doctor strings together with florid gestures and pregnant pauses, but in a performance that is as artful as it is true. Treadwell's adventures among his beloved grizzlies uh, were also a kind of performance built on lies and truth and played out on the stage of celebrity. Even though his choices were dangerous and finally fatal, he traveled a familiar American path shaped by boundless optimism and an almost religious belief in the self. He lived among grizzlies because he believed that he could. Right, he believed that he could. Given this, the cheap shots that followed his death are revelatory. Yes, the worst one here. Uh, the appalling snarkiness of the newspaper headlines. The worst one is, uh, quote, Grizzly bear that killed pear attacked at lunchtime. Jesus. For some, Timothy Treadwell's death confirmed that animal activists and environmentalists are dangerous wackos. For others, though, his unhappy end may have suggested something equally disturbing. Sometimes a smile and American goodwill aren't enough. Yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. What was it we used to say? Yes. Pray, pray, be holy, you know, but don't let them get you. Uh, don't turn your back on the sea. You know how that is, folks. Um, nature is not uh, necessarily benign. Uh, she can be, of course. Without her, we wouldn't exist. She's us. <laughs> uh, but a moral sense, no, 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 not, not, not in our sense, as Mark Twain says. Man is the only animal with a moral sense. Uh, silly things that we are. Anyway, to finish up with um, what this writer in the New York Times had to say, Throughout Grizzly Man, men and women pay testament to Treadwell's niceness and naivete. Some are kind, others less so. Each testifier seems to capture some authentic quality of Timothy Treadwell, who, from the evidence of his videos and from Werner Herzog's sympathetic inquiry, seem equally nice and brave, um, Brave and foolish, naive, at some point that foolishness mushroomed into a welter of delusions about his power to survive the wilderness in which he so recklessly tried to find himself. His death, as inevitable as it was preventable, could mean 
that he may have been more lost than found. Herzog remains generous to a fault on this particular point, perhaps because he recognizes that for someone like Treadwell, there's nothing more terrifying than being ordinary. Nothing, not even the claws of a grizzly. <laughs> I would just note for those of you who um, might want to take the children, it's uh, uh, the film is rated R. Under 17 requires accompanying parent or adult guardian. And, of course, there are the vivid descriptions of the bear mauling and all that good stuff. Uh, <laughs> I just, I don't know why I laugh. It just seems to me that primate grandiosity knows no bounds. We can imagine anything, even that bears are our friends. <laughs> I'm sure they can be from time to time. <laughs> oh, folks, it's like those of us, yes, living in the world today, uh, we go among our friends and neighbors, and sometimes I wonder, all of us are capable of damn near anything. Okay, I have just a little time left. Um, I wish I'd had an hour, because I wanted to tell you about the development of Werner Herzog as filmmaker. I'm going all the way back to a documentary made by a local filmmaker called Les Blank. He made a movie about Werner Herzog. He called his movie Burden of Dreams. And he went out and photographed uh, Werner Herzog doing his thing. Let's see. Here they are out in the uh, out in the jungle. Yes, during Fitzcarraldo and Werner Herzog is quoted. <laughs> yes, this is a article I wrote called "Film or Death," um, which was Herzog's slogan at the time. Werner Herzog writes, Klaus Kinsey, Kinsky always says that the jungle is full of erotic elements. I don't see it so much erotic. I see it more full of obscenity. Nature here is vile and base. The trees here are in misery and the birds are in misery. I don't think they sing. They just screech in pain. It's an unfinished country. It's still prehistoric. The only thing lacking is the dinosaurs here. It's like a curse weighing on an entire landscape. Whoever goes too deep into this has his share of that curse. So we are cursed with what we are doing here. There is some kind of harmony. It is the harmony of overwhelming and collective murder. When I wrote this article, I went to uh, meet Les Blank over in El Cerrito at Flower Films. <laughs> and, uh, yes, we talked. Fitzcarraldo was completed back in 1981. And then Les Blank's journeys to the Amazon, uh, let's see, they added up to three and a half months. They became Burden of Dreams. It's a record of Herzog's adventure as well as his own. Now, the most interesting person I talked to at that time was... um Les Blank's associate and sound engineer, Maureen Gosling. Full partnership with Les Blank for 10 years. She's the editor and sound engineer, right? Uh, her perspective on the project was interesting. 
She said that when she arrived in Herzog's camp in the jungle, it was clear that something was missing. Now, we're in the Peruvian jungle, folks. Okay. She said there were very few women. Those who were there on their own were, as she put it, courted a lot. She reports that the Brazilian and even the Peruvian workers requested that prostitutes be brought in. The Brazilians gave dances for recreation, but few people came. Along with Klaus Kinski, they kept a fire burning all the time, cooking fish and trying to keep up their spirits. But the camp got messier and dirtier, and the men showed no interest in cleaning it up. The Indians who came in family groups seemed to have fared best. Those who came without their women had no one to make their local alcoholic drink, masato. The morale of the single men improved a great deal when the prostitutes arrived. We see Herzog in the film explaining that the local Catholic priest urged him to have prostitutes in camp in order to protect the women of neighboring tribes from male assaults. There's also in the film uh, women giving uh, economic explanations for the prostitution. Uh, an eyewitness account of that agony and ecstasy in the jungle camp <laughs> near the confluence of the great rivers in southern Peru was published by Michael Goodwin. Uh, look up American film, Michael Goodwin, June 1982. The story is fantastic. Mick Jagger, Jason Robards dropped out of the film. Hellish hazards came with the territory. The Indians were paid three fifty a day to work on the film. That was twice what they could earn working for other companies in the district. Nevertheless, the relations were strained. Herzog's first camp was burned down. <laughs> the film by Les Blank, Burden of Dreams, makes it abundantly clear that mobile oil is a far greater danger to the Amazon and its indigenous people than was Werner Herzog. Uh... There's even evidence in the film to suggest that Mobile Oil set up the film company to catch flack from a touchy tribal council. Uh, thanks to lumber and oil interests, as well as settlers, the Amazon jungle is disappearing at a rate of 8,000 square miles a month. And I go on at great uh, length about the ecological and environmental tragedy of the Amazon, right? If it goes, with it go 250,000 species of plants and animals. Uh, in order to symbolize this desecration, Les Blank filmed a wooden image of a woman. It's the figurehead from the prow of the steamship in Fitzcarraldo, right? And there's a great deal more here about the symbolism of the ship, the central metaphor of Herzog's film. Fitzcarraldo is the story of an Irishman whose dream it is to bring an opera house together with Enrico Caruso into the Amazon. I never did get that in the film. Honest to God, what on earth were they thinking? <laughs> never mind. Um, Burden of Dreams shows up on television sometimes, and there have been several recent documentaries about uh, Klaus Kinski and um, uh, Werner Herzog. Uh, actually, let's see. When the shooting was over, Fitzcarraldo, it says that Klaus Kinski socked Herzog. Somebody had to, right? These guys, I guess it's funny. Um, there's a tattoo on the uh, uh, Herzog's shoulder, right? Les Blank said it's a skeleton. 
Uh, it's singing into a microphone. On the microphone, it says ZDF. ZDF is the German Experimental T- TV Network. Uh, I remember, I liked the beautiful scene in a movie um, when Claudia Cardinelli and Klaus Kinski are on a motorboat. They go down a thousand miles on the Amazon there and they listen to Caruso on stage. Um, and there's a bizarre Sarah Bernhardt played in drag by Jean-Claude Dreyfus. <laughs> that was that was a kick. Anyway, whether all this stuff is a fine madness or simply megalomania depends on where you sit and who you are. Uh, Herzog is dangerously reckless, uh, just as was Klaus Kinski and Timothy Treadwell. Um, their work is to capture the soul, and I hope, yes, Herzog's personal demons don't give a damn if there's fungus in the camera or war in Ecuador. For all these guys, it's film or death, and in some cases, both. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Light em up, boys. There's your picture. This Sunday, August 21st, the explosive Dakka Hip Hop Orchestra closes the 68th season of the Stern Grove Festival with its innovative blend of urban music and classical instrumentation. The Dakar Hip Hop Orchestra is a unique 75-piece ensemble featuring full string and brass sections, percussion, MCs, vocalists, turntablists, and much more. Joining the orchestra will be the winners of the annual Youth Speaks Poetry Slam performing selections of original spoken word poetry. All this happening this Sunday, August 21st at the Stern Grove Festival, 19th and Slope in St.